Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Lindsay Lytell is someone that you may be familiar with. She was on Naked and Afraid twice uh, in Namibia and South Africa for 40 days. She got introduced to me by a good friend, Kayla Cummins, who was also on Naked and Afraid, specifically because Lindsay entered into Naked and Afraid without really a hunting background. She actually was an, is a non-hunter, still is a non-hunter today, and had some of her perceptions, uh, perspectives around hunting specifically changed because of the activity that she was partaking in in Africa around the, the TV show Naked and Afraid. And so naturally, I wanted to talk to Lindsay. I wanted to hear from her. I wanted to get her perceptions. What changed? How did they change? And just have a wholesome, good conversation about hunting with someone who doesn't hunt, which is what we're good at. Enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So you said technically challenged. Can I say time challenged as well? You, you had 11 on your calendar? I It probably was to give myself some time to be ready to be here. I do the same thing. I do the same thing. Like, I'm like, did I set it up wrong? Did like, is my chiropractor appointment at? Right. 
is it at 11 or is it at 10.30? Why did I put it at 10.30? You know? So at 10.30, I was getting ready for my 11 o'clock call. That was 11.30. But that's okay. I'm here. I'm here now. (laughs) You are amazing. You're amazing. And where are you right now, Lindsay? I'm in California. But I'm in the mountains um, north of Los Angeles. It's amazing. Honestly, I think a lot of people... And by the way, I'm coming to Los Angeles on Friday. Or what? Why? Why would you come here? So a lot of people are like, why would you come to Los Angeles? But there's amazing stuff outside of Los Angeles, right? Obviously, you live in the mountains just north of Los yeah. Angeles. We went, we interviewed and filmed a couple of people in the mountains, almost like an hour and a half east. If you tell me a mountain range, it'll come to me. It starts with O. O. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Like it was on, really in Ontario cool. area, were you out that way? Mm, like, I can't remember. Like we there... went through a, we went through a mountain pass to a little town, and then we dropped down into the desert. Essentially, it was the desert desert mountains. Um, Got it. Anyway, we filmed a pro skater out there, Jeff Rowley, who's a huge huge hunter. And then, um, no, this Friday, <laughs> I'm coming to be on a podcast. So the mission of Blood Origins is to sort of talk to have narrative around this while we're having this discussion around hunting the good the bad the ugly we're very much like middle of the road happy to talk to anyone that wants to that has an opinion whether negative or positive around hunting and those that may are indifferent but are curious and i think this friday's podcast is that indifferent but curious so there is a TikTok megastar. I know. I know. <laughs> 16 and a half million people on TikTok. 1.2 million people on Instagram. His name is Candy Ken. Like Ken and Bobby. Got it. And uh, we're going to podcast in person in Los Angeles on a pink fluffy couch surrounded by tie-dyed walls. And okay. he is Austrian-born crossfitter that's a rapper that is just like embraces, I don't know if you call it femininity or, anyway, he's, I said, I, we've got mutual it's friends in common. And I said, there. <laughs> yeah, I said to him, I said, hey, you know, would you be interested in having a conversation about hunting? And he was like, yeah. I was like, okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, good luck. Now, how long are you going to be out here for? 12 hours. Oh, so it's a quick interview and turn right back around. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I spend, I'm on the road so much that I just, when I can just get in and get out into places, that's what I'm going to do. You know, because so I can get home at midnight, I can slip in the bed, I can wake up in the morning, go get donuts for the kids and start our day. Well, I, funny enough, spent about 12 hours in Chicago last weekend. I'd never been there before. Oh, my gosh. But I was at the airport. I was at the... Just for funds or you were on a... I was on my way home from Croatia. And so it was a 12-hour layover. I got a hotel right by the airport, got back on the plane the next morning. There we go. There we go. Yep. Lindsay, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I'm not going to pretend to say your last name, so please... What is, how do you pronounce your last name? It's Lytel. Lytel. Lindsay Lytel. Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I'm glad Kayla connected us. Yeah, she's so great. She's so sweet. 
She's amazing. She's amazing. Well, Lindsay, if people don't know who you are, you want to give a little brief introduction to who you are, um, what you do? Sure. I Why you're famous? I promise I'm not famous, um, but I, I have been on Naked and Afraid twice. I did a 21-day in Namibia and a 40-day with our friend Kayla in South Africa. What gets someone into Naked and Afraid? Um... I'm not really sure. I don't know. When I was presented with uh, the opportunity, I hadn't heard of the show. I never. How are you even presented with the opportunity? Like, do people just don't randomly say, hey, FYI, you, 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 we think you'd be good for Naked and Afraid? Um, except on. they kind of do when they're just starting out a show. And I live in the L.A. area. Okay, okay. I live in the L.A. area, and one of my very best friends one of her clients was a casting director for that show. So in their conversations, oh. she had said, do you know any women that would be awesome at this? And she said, I do. And so I get a text message. <laughs> You're going to get a call in five minutes. And I'm like, why? What is this show? Why are they naked? What's going on? And <laughs> after a conversation, I said, you know, that sounds insane. Sign me up. Yeah, you know, that's a terrible idea. Amazing. When do I start? So. That's kind of how Amazing. it started. And you did Namibia first before the 40-day with Kayla? Correct. Yep. How was Namibia? Had you ever been to Africa before? I had not. I had not. Um, Namibia was hard. It was harsh. It was very harsh. Yeah. There's this uh, thorn called Devil's Claw, and it's like like yep. big goat head, but larger. And it's on everything, yep. on every tree, out of every root in the ground. Um, and it was, yeah, it was very difficult. It was before, uh, bef right after the rainy season. So there was still rain, but before anything could grow and there just was nothing. We didn't eat for 14 days. Mm. And even that was just a little water snake I found um, between two people. And then day 18, we had a rather large kill um, and a good meal. But you lose 15 pounds in 21 days. It means you're really not eating anything. <laughs> So, Holy yeah, spokes, South man. Africa, 40 days, although it was longer, felt a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, Namibia is a harsh climate. And just the African sun, I, I think a lot of people don't recognize, like, the brutality of what that is until you're there. Mm -hmm. But, jeez, it can smoke you. And, and obviously, naked part of Naked and Afraid, you're just, you're getting ready to be blessed. I mean, I had the best tan ever. <laughs> like, I look like a Nubian goddess. Uh, gorgeous no tan lines, but uh, it is harsh. Yeah, and so you're you're trying to do work in the morning and in the late afternoon. But in Namibia, especially where we were, um, you had sand flies, and then you had like noceums come out. And so as soon as the sun started going down, there was mosquitoes. There was everything trying to bite you. We had no fire for ten days. Um, Jeez. Yeah, because the rain, the rain was still going and things were wet and it was harsh. It was really harsh. But um, yeah, but we survived. I had a great partner. Makes all the so. So when you do these, when you do these, and Kayla gave me a little bit of insight because Kayla was your partner, right, in South Africa. Yes. Do they? Do you partner up immediately? They partner us up, and so out of twelve people, there were four teams of three. It was Kayla, myself, and our other partner, Melissa. So we were the only female, all-female team, and actually we're the only team ever to have started and finished all together. 
that was the South Africa 40 days. Correct. Yep. And then as Kayla so, talked about her big kill, we're the first female big kill. Yeah, 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 100%. The, the big kill that you were talking about in Namibia, what, what was that? Well, we had, our, now where's your accent from? I'm South African. You're South African. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, then yeah. we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> so we had found uh, a nest of hammercocks. And it was up on this precipice that was probably 10 to 12 feet up on a ledge. And okay. my partner was underneath. We could hear wrestling inside, but um, we didn't know if it was a Cape Cobra, if there was anything in there. So I got up and ended up pushing this thing over. And you know how large they are. They're like igloos. Oh, huge nests. Massive. Huge nests. Massive. Um, and as soon as I pushed it over, five baby birds were in there. And they're not... I mean, they're babies, but they're like little Cornish game hen size. They're a- yeah, they're they're like between a pheasant and a quail size yeah, kind of thing, yeah. right? And mm. um, after that, it just went savage. I mean, we were just—it was 18 days of oh. no calories, and we knew. I mean, if we had known there was five birds in there, maybe we wouldn't have messed with the nest because that's quite excessive for two people. But at the same time, we didn't know, and um. The mom's not going to come back for them. So the most humane thing we could do is just make sure we kill them quickly and be very appreciative of the nourishment that they gave us. So it was savage. It was amazing. And uh, we were so grateful. So we feasted on five gigantic birds. And it was awesome. I still taste it. So let me, I want to, I want to, oh, I can imagine. So I want to dig into this element just a little bit and, and probably just explore this a little bit. As I understood it, and the reason why Kayla connected you and I together is you do not come from a hunting background. Is that a fair statement? Mm -hmm. Yep. Correct. So can you give me, let me, let me just start here. Can you give me your perspective on maybe before like entering into Namibia, because I'm sure Namibia and South Africa might've changed things in your brain a little bit. Prior to Namibia, where were you, like hunting-wise, opinion-wise, perspective-wise? Um, I've always been someone who's not a fan of mass-produced food or um, large chicken farms. You know, I, I always am one to go with smaller and humane raising and killing of any animals. Um, so going into it, I wasn't against hunting. I just had not been exposed to having to hunt or even trap my own food. I've fished. Uh, I went into this more with an uh. athletic background. So I was the athlete and I was paired with someone who did primitive survival skills. Um, and so from that, it allowed me to kind of learn how to trap and how to hunt and how to, to read the signs of you know, what is in and around mm -hmm. our surroundings. But I was never against hunting. I've not been a fan mm -hmm. of... Um, trophy hunting. And I'll say that yeah. being in South Africa and being exposed to professional hunters and having extensive conversations with them and even the anti-poaching units, I've really appreciated, um, come to appreciate what they do and kind of how they utilize people who have a desire for trophy hunting, but in the most, again, the most humane yeah. way. It's just not willy-nilly. Mm -hmm. There's actually a, a method to that. Mm -hmm. So so that really opened my mm -hmm. mind to being appreciative of that. I still wouldn't 
go and take a trophy. If I'm going to kill something, it's because I'm eating it uh, and appreciating it. But yeah, I'm not against hunting in any way. Yeah. So so you were in the you were in the camp before Namibia and maybe a little bit still today of like indifference. Um, you know, not against it, not for it, not going to be going to do something, you know, to become a hunter, but rather I eat meat. I want to be as ethical as possible in me consuming that kind of meat. And if it's hunting that does it or small scale agriculture, regenerative agriculture, I'm pro that. Yeah. I, and I would say I'm, I'm definitely more towards pro hunting than indifferent. I just for myself didn't have a desire necessarily. Um, and it wasn't even that. I just, it never crossed my desk as far as an opportunity. I have friends who are hunters. Mm -hmm. I have benefited from their kills. I enjoy wild game very much more than even agricultural raised meat. Um, but it just, it just wasn't my lane and you have your lane sure. and I have my lane, but I wasn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like just happy, happy to, to benefit from it. But I never thought that I would be on that end of hunting. Do you think you swung more towards pro hunting in because of what you had to do or the environments that you were in in Namibia and South Africa, having to sort of survive and hunting was a part of that survival um, exercise? Absolutely. Uh, from there was four, I want to say maybe four years between my first experience and my 40 day. And in that time, I definitely knew if I was going to go back, then I wanted to have any types of skills that I could. Now, hey, Kayla is an amazing bow hunter. She's been doing it forever because um, mm -hmm. that's her family. Again, I grew up in South Orange County in California. I've lived all over, but yeah, yeah, yeah. just not, that's not really a thing um, unless we have mountains everywhere. But unless you're raised in that environment, it's kind of hard to, to branch into that. So it was really from her and my other partner that I... Um, got interested in even having a bow. And, and my husband and I, we have a bow and we will go out periodically and, and shoot targets and just a desire to round myself out with something else interesting. I'm always up to learn a new skill. And um, Kayla really was very patient with teaching me the proper techniques. And yeah, so I think it's definitely opened my eyes. And if I had the opportunity to go hunt, I would. We just bought a property in South Carolina, five acres. And there's a lot of turkey hunting there. So as a resident, yeah. and you can have two turkeys each. So that's something we've already talked about once we move full time to get into that. And yeah. She going to move to South Carolina yeah. full time? Yep. Full time. Amazing. Yeah. 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 No, you're going to. Turkey hunting is addictive. They call turkey hunting. There's a famous film that was created called The Disease. And. It's not a disease like in a, in a bad connotation kind of scenario, but it's just this thing that it's almost like you can't get rid of it. Like this desire to go out in the woods and chase these birds because of the way that they interact with you. And they've got a, you know, a peanut size for a brain and they will outwit you every day. Um, and it becomes addictive. Like it really becomes like this thing that you just can't get rid of, which is why they call it the disease. Um, you know, it's interesting you talk about trophy hunting. Um, it's one of the things that I think is like a huge misnomer, unfortunately, 
in the hunting space. And, and the reason I say that is this, is that, you know, when someone says, oh, I hate trophy hunting, I dislike trophy hunting. I almost have to, maybe I'll ask you, maybe I can ask you the question, like, why, why would you, why does, some, why does someone say I hate trophy hunting or I dislike trophy hunting? Why do you dislike trophy hunting? Well, I, I don't, I mean, I don't understand the draw unless it's something that you are going to eat. And a lot of these Europeans who come over to Africa are not interested in eating them. It's just be yeah. able to mount them on the wall. I don't understand the taking of such a magnificent animal for that reason. I, you know, you only want yeah. to kill. So it's it. the fun sports side of things. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that I, I can't get behind in that realm of understanding someone's desire, but I can appreciate what that desire does to help the local community. And that's something I really learned. No, hundred percent. Yeah, you actually just answered the way that I would then sort of take the next step, which is, I can't, we can't change the motivation of an individual for why they want to hunt. A lot of people hunt, just like you say, they hunt because they want to consume something, they want to eat something. Unfortunately, and I think I'd, I'd, I'd. Love to do a thought experiment because it's the only kind of experiment you could do because you can't bring the meat home. You can't bring any of the meat from Africa back to the States. It's, it's illegal. Like you can't, USDA wouldn't allow it. I wonder if it was legal, how that would change things in two ways. Number one, motivation that we're just talking about. But then how would it affect the conservation model? That Africa has. Right. Because trophy hunting from the conservation model side of the coin, which is what you were talking to, like the benefits and the consequences and whatnot, is the reason why there is wildlife in Africa. Because instead of someone coming to Africa and taking a female or taking a young male or sort of indifferent to gender or age, which is often the case when you're a meat hunter. You're indifferent, right? You're just going out there to, like, I want a, a plump female. I'm going to take a plump female. What these guys are going to Africa for is the most maturest male of that species, which often has the largest headgear, has the largest thing that you can put on the wall. But because of that fact, because of the fact that they're taking that oldest, maturest male, the population, here's the paradox, right? The population flourishes. People are like, well, how is that possible? How can you kill something and the population flourishes? Well, it's because you're protecting the, the rest of the population that is essentially the reproductive engine Goldmar. of wild. You're just taking those old, curmudgeonly, cranky old bastards out of the population that aren't doing anything anymore for the population. They've done their job. Or you They've moved sickly, on. You know? you know, sickly and, and getting ready to die naturally anyhow. Right, right, exactly. They're on their last legs. They're on the last couple of years of life. And, 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 and what better way to bring value to that animal than to have someone in, again, let's, let's set aside the motivation for a second, have someone come in and pay $10,000 for that animal, and that 10000 goes to protecting, like the anti-poaching, paying for the anti-poaching units that are now protecting all the animals. Right. And 
you know, the, the, the European or, or the American or whatnot gets to put a head on the wall at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's a conundrum. Right. Well, and even the local human population benefiting from the meat that would otherwise go to waste. So you go, it's, right. you know, it's, it's hard sometimes because that's not the way that us as Americans generally live. So it's, you never want to put your spin on how I was raised is the right way to be raised and how you were raised is wrong or anything like that. I think it's so important to understand cultural differences, um, but seeing the benefits of that. Yes, I'll never understand the desire to put that on the wall, but at the same time, I can appreciate the beauty of seeing that on somebody's wall as well. It's just mm -hmm. the physical act yeah. of doing that is hard for me, but I understand the necessity as well. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I heard someone out of Pakistan say this, and it's very, it's very true for Africa too, is that the locals give you the thing that they don't actually need and they don't want mm. and they don't desire, which is the skull and the horns. They don't need it. They're not going to use it. They're going to throw them away. So you take them, American. You take them, European. You go put them on their walls. We'll keep the skin. We'll keep the meat. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's an interesting way to look at it. Well, that's not... Um, tell me about South Africa. Obviously, Namibia was harsh, obviously. But then you got to experience Limpopo um, for 40 days. I don't think a lot of people get to experience on the ground, in the bush. Big Five was around you, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the second day that we were there, we had built up a boma around ourselves, um, and we had these little fire bombs that we had just to be able to put into the fire to really burst it up quickly and scare anything away. But uh, there was chuffing, lion chuffing around our boma on day two and I think day four, and then they moved out. But um, I, we were later told that there were two male lions that had a taste for humans. They had killed three people. They killed two poachers and um, a ranger. And, you know, we had built up our, our boma that we thought was good because we we're thin-skinned, naked people. And they were like, <laughs> you don't understand. You think you're safe here? If they want you, they'll jump 12 feet up and over. Our boma is maybe five or six feet. They'll jump in, take one of you, and, oh my and jump back out. So, <laughs> you know, it's when you're out there, you don't really think about it. I was never scared, um, never. But you just don't really, I think, think about the repercussions of what actually could happen. There's nobody around you. Yes, there's hunters making sure you're not going to be ambushed if you're out on a walkabout. But at the same time, at night, there's no cameras. There's no production they go and they're sleeping and showered and fed and drinking and you know we're the ones that are there by ourselves at night so yeah just to kind of think about what could have been is a little crazy but just the gift no matter how hard it is even Namibia no matter how hard being out there is it's such a gift to be able to live in a space that is not inhabited you know, you go, it's very special. The sunset that mm. I'm seeing, yes, everybody can see that, but they're not seeing it from our little watering hole with me and my two friends, you know, just seeing the sun setting and in the distance, you're seeing giraffes. And it's so special. And it just feels like a blessing to have been chosen to be able to be out there. In terms of what people 
you may have sort of misconceptions around Africa or South Africa or whatnot. Are there certain things that you came across that you're like, that maybe you had a misperception around that you're like, oh, geez, this is completely different? Um, no, I always heard how beautiful the people. Did you realize like the the anti-poaching was as big as it, it, it would have been? That was quite interesting. Just hearing their stories of the actual poaching units, I thought, I don't know what I thought. I just didn't think it was as organized as it is, but it's really a military unit for poaching as well as a military unit for anti-poaching. And the the anti-poachers, their families are targeted. And, you know, if they get wind, the poachers get wind of who these guys are, their families, their children um, are in danger. And yeah, it's, it's a, it mm-hmm. really is a war going on out there. And that's something that, I had no idea here. You you know about stuff, but you don't really know until you know. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. It, it's, it, it's, you know, Rhino is obviously the biggest. And it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting dilemma because Rhino horn is probably per ounce the most valuable substance on the planet. Okay? Yet it's renewable. Okay? It grows two kilograms a year. It's like, it's keratin. It's what your fingernails are made out yeah, well, of. So the fact that you can't trade it, and now I'm getting into a, a big, this is a big soapbox. The fact that you can't trade it, that South Africans, Namibians, Zimbabweans can't utilize a resource that is grown in their backyard to protect that same resource. You know, look at alligators, look at crocodiles. They, their conservation success stories is on the backs of trade. It's just mind-boggling, and the, the populations are getting decimated. Kruger National Park has lost 70 to 75% of all its rhino. Mm. And to your point, they're, they're, they're syndicates, absolutely military precision syndicates coming in and taking them out. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a sad, sad state of affairs. And the people that have rhinos, the amount of money it costs to, to protect those rhinos, all the people you saw, 24-7, cameras, whatnot, where does the money come from to do that work? Yeah. Well, and they're all privatized units. I just recently learned that there is not government anti-poaching units. Yeah. You're hired out. No. Just- like Botswana. Botswana is. Botswana, you're not allowed to have any. Um, Botswana the Defense Force, the BDF, are the only people that do poach anti-poaching in Botswana. But everywhere else is if you want, there is no government help. You need to privately support yourselves. And for, for the most part, private funding comes from the fact that, you know, is, is a lot of times comes from hunting. Because the most, most people that have rhinos, probably the reason why your property in South Africa had rhinos is because they hunted the property that, to be able to afford the anti-poaching units. Right. Yeah. My my business partner is uh, Rhodesian from previous Zimbabwe, and yeah, mm-hmm. we had many many conversations about this. He was in the SAS in Rhodesia, and then lived in South Africa for many years. Um, and it's fascinating. That's all the that's the stuff that we don't understand. Again, as Americans, you go, we have national parks, we pay our tax dollars to protect those and the government enforces that why is that same thing not happening 
in other countries in Africa outside of Botswana. You know? Well, no, I'll, let me get this wrong. Let me get this. Let me correct myself. On public ground, on national parks, like Kruger National Park in South Africa, they certainly have ranges paid for by sand parks, South African national parks. Now, whether or not sand parks is government funded or privately non-profit funded or any other source of ecotourism monies, it's almost like a mixed bag. There's very little government funding, I would think, that supports sand parks at this stage. Uh, it's all philanthropically driven, ecotourism dollars driven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, crazy. I mean, you go, that's such a huge uh, thing, ecotourism, because everyone wants to go and see the safaris and you would think that the governments would do anything they can to preserve tourism, which then is preserving the animals for the tourists to come and view. No animals, no tourists. Yep. No animals, no tourists. And it's, you know, it's, again, it's a conundrum, right? It's when someone like, for instance, I think it was like in 2013, huge controversy happened. There's a black rhino in Namibia that had already gored a young a young male and had killed two females, as I understand it. And they're like, we want to sell this rhino. We want to hunt it. Somebody come offer. And there was going to be a bidding war in America that they thought would take the price of that rhino to like three quarters of a million dollars. Wow. To hunt it. But because HSUS got a wind of this and started sort of publicly saying things like, whoever buys this hunt, we're going to come after you. We're going to come after your family and whatnot. Scared a lot of people off. And there was one guy who said, no, screw it. And he paid $350,000 for this black rhino hunt. And the, the CNN went and followed him there. And it's like, well, where else do you think the money's going to come from to pay for this rhino protection? You know, that's one hunter paying $350,000. In Namibia specifically, there was a study that showed that you needed not, not the 350,000 kind, but the normal variety hunter. You needed 77 ecotourists to cover the cost. The same amount of money brought into Namibia by one hunter you need 77 tourists to do that, to bring in that amount of money. Wow. It, it's not the panacea. Hunting is not the panacea for all wildlife conservation, but there's certainly benefits, right? Mm -hmm. And to your point, Lindsay, earlier, is that the motivation is a, is a difficult one for people to get around. And that's what we, you know, essentially why we have built what I built at Blood Origins, which is, how can I communicate the benefits, the impacts, the consequences to wildlife, to people, to communities all around the world constantly so that people can sort of, they now have an additional outlet of information beyond the, you know, the, the, the great white hunter standing behind a magnificent animal and they're like, well, that's all they wanted was a picture with, their, with themselves and holding their gun in front of a dead animal. Right. Yeah. Well, and even if you think about elephant culling, you know, again, a Westerner, Jeez. it's really hard for us to understand why that needs to happen. But again, for the benefit of the ecosystem, it's a very important part of preserving other animals and plant life. And, you know, it's just, it's hard, but it, but it goes back to, we don't understand it because it's not what we were raised with, but it doesn't make it wrong, right? It's mm -hmm. a different mm -hmm. 
culture. It's a different society. So how dare us as, I say Westerners, Americans, you know, I would throw Canadians, probably the Brits into that as well. But you just go, that's <laughs> not their, that's not the their upbringing. How dare we stand on our soapbox and say that that's wrong? Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I'm so glad that someone, I'm so glad you got to experience South Africa. A lot of people just don't get to experience it, right? It, like, it's easy for me to talk about, but it's so different when you, if you've gone. Mm-hmm. And we get so many people saying, I under, now I understand what you've been saying. Right. Well, and I feel like it's in, it, it never leaves you. Like, I truly do feel like I have a part of Africa in me and a part of me they're still in Africa. And it's, it's just something that is, will always be ingrained in my ethos going forward. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it I'll be headed back yeah, it gets in a under couple your months, skin. actually, um, with clothes, which will be awesome. Um, for <laughs> so I can't wait. I can't wait to get. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that is awesome, man. I, you know, it, it certainly, Africa certainly is one of those things that just crawls in under your skin and buries herself there. And, you know, you'll always remember it the sights, the sounds, the smells, how big the sky is, how big the sun is, how big the sunsets look. It's yep. everything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lindsay, I appreciate your time. I really, really do. Um, I appreciate Kayla connecting us. Yes. And uh, if there's anything that we can ever do for you, I know you're in the filmmaking business. Um, we're in the content creating business. So if there's anything we can do, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah. And like I said, my, my partner's African and we've got lots of content, um, coming out in the region about the region. So yeah, looking, looking forward to being able to share some more stuff with you, but, um, yeah, it'll be awesome. So thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Good luck this weekend. Oh, thank you. Fuzzy couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.